0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Van Maren Show. My name is Jonathan Van Maren, and today I'm going to be talking to my old friend, Jojo Ruba. Many of you listening will know that I serve as communications director for the Canadian Centre for bioethical reform. And Jojo Ruba was actually one of the co-founders of that pro-life organization back in 2001 before heading off on his own to run the organization Faith Beyond Belief in 2012. He equips Christians to be effective ambassadors and apologetics for everyday conversations. Essentially, he took his pro-life work and he expanded it to the historicity of the resurrection, the meaning of Christmas, you name it, uh, Jojo Joe covers it. He earned a Bachelor of Journalism and a Master's in Political Science from Carleton University in Ottawa. And Lately, he's been one of the key people responding to what the Justin Trudeau government's trying to do on conversion therapy, the conversion therapy ban. Jojo Ruba's come out with somebody who has struggled with same-sex attraction himself and has explained how therapy was essential uh, to helping him understand himself and to helping him live the life that he wanted to live. It's an incredibly brave and courageous thing that he did. Many of us knew Jojo for years and had no idea that this was something that he had struggled with. And so recently... Recently, he testified before the Justice Committee, and we're thrilled that he agreed to come on the show and talk about not only his story, but why this piece of legislation is so dangerous. This is my conversation with Jojo Ruba. Just to start off, most people who hear the phrase conversion therapy ban think that it sounds like a good thing. Immediately they picture electroshock therapy. Uh, They they think of something that uh, is, is horrifically torturous for the people who endure it. What is actually going on right now with the proposed Canadian legislation?
1: Well, uh, Jonathan, thanks for letting me be on your show and uh, glad to be able to share from Ottawa. I'm actually, uh, I we met here, I think, and well, West, I think, and mm-hmm. being back here brings a lot of memories as a journalism student. Uh, when I lived here, I actually went through uh, counseling for my own same-sex attractions in Ottawa. And so it's sort of ironic to come back full circle and then to defend a biblical view of sexuality and gender from this law because Canadians, i don't think realize just how egregious this law is uh if you've watched movies or watched tv shows and, and heard the term conversion therapy you only hear the idea of a forced electroshock therapy to to make someone straight who's gay right and, and there there's a whole mindset around that and even the 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 current political leaders have accepted that that scenario. Unfortunately, the definition of conversion therapy used by this, this government in Bill C-6 is not used by any professional medical association in North America. So the Canadian or the American Psychological Association, Psychiatric Association, they don't use this definition because all their definitions focus on a specific therapy, which means a formal therapy that looks at or that tries to change sexual orientation. There's, there's different wordings, but, but that's basically it. One of the key arguments we've been making is that this law itself actually forces a, a, an outcome on patients because it defines conversion therapy so broadly. The definition it uses is a practice, treatment, or service designed to change a person's sexual orientation, to heterosexual or gender identity, to assist gender, or to repress or reduce non-heterosexual attraction or sexual behavior. Now, this is this is really key, Jonathan, because what what it's saying is any practice, treatment, or service. When we were fighting, uh, in a, almost exactly the same worded laws or bylaws in Alberta, where we first began this a year ago. One of the key points our opponents made, including Dr. Chris Wallace at the Edmonton City Council, is that this can include praying for people to to change their sexual behavior. And I specifically asked Edmonton City Council, we have video footage of it, this is not something that we made up, uh, where I asked city council of Edmonton, do you want to send bylaw officers at every church, mosque, and synagogue to make sure we're not praying the gay away, as Dr. Criswell says? Mm-hmm. And as I'm asking this question, Criswell is sitting right beside me. Ironically, we were witnesses right after each other. And he is nodding the whole time. So in his view, practice, treatment, or service includes praying for your friends, your family members who've come to you and say, I'm struggling with transgender feelings, I'm struggling with gay feelings, can you pray for me so that I won't act on those feelings? And then this is the worst part, Jonathan. The issue here is the last part of that phrase, reduce non-heterosexual attraction or sexual behavior. So now, again, this phrase is not found in any psychological or psychiatric definition in North America of any professional body, because, as one of my Christian psychotherapist friends says, that's almost everything they do is help reduce behavior that people don't want. That's why they're Mm -hmm. seeing a psychotherapist. That's why they're seeing a psychologist. So by adding this phrase, it actually empowers the government to regulate sexual behavior. And that's what people don't realize. So it's not just about conversation. So you can't talk about it, but you can't also – and and there's plenty of examples. So, for example, if I go to a a counselor and I am struggling with a porn addiction, that's a sexual Mm. behavior. Or I'm struggling with having an affair behind my wife's back, that's a sexual behavior or, or sexual addiction. The problem is if that sexual addiction or porn addiction is gay porn addiction, according to this law, I can no longer get support for it. But if it's straight porn, I can. So it's, this is overtly discriminatory. Now, this is the government's response to this. And, and so this is key. So the first part they say is practice, treatment, or service means it's actually a formal practice. But again, that's not how LGBT activists define it. So this is just, these are fudge words, and they're left undefined. Uh, Catholic friends, uh, listeners would actually know this, because in the Catholic Church, there are many practices that are formally called practices. So they're, they're actually directly affected by this man, because it's not defined. Uh, But the second part is they they say this, so the the last half of the definition is, for greater certainty, this definition does not include a practice, treatment, or service that relates to a person's gender transition or to a person's exploration of their identity or to its development. So this is a part they say, well, no, you're allowed to explore your sexuality and have good faith conversations. Now, the, the problem is the word good faith is not in the definition. It doesn't give an exemption to private conversations. It right. doesn't give an exemption to conversations between kids and their parents. It doesn't give any of those explanations. It just says you want, if you want to explore your identity or develop your identity, that's fine. But that doesn't mitigate the, the direct phrase that says reduce non-heterosexual attractions or sexual behavior. That's specific, and the, the law, the judges, the lawyers will not care about exploration if you're actually aiming to reduce. The, the justice matter in his testimony also said, well, as long as that's not the main goal, you're, you're allowed. So if you go for sexual addiction and happens to be some of it is gay, well, it's not the main goal to reduce that. But again, that's not in the law. And th- this is why people are, are very much concerned. And, and I think as Christians, particularly, if your audience is from that, that background, mostly, uh, they sh- should be very concerned that the government is actually not just regulating sexuality, they're regulating how we define scripture. So let me give one quick analogy and then I think you can ask a lot of questions based on what mm-hmm. I just said here. When I was watching the conversion therapy debate on Parliament Hill just a few weeks ago, several members of the Bloc NDP, and Green Party actually said, we want this ban not just to affect children, we want it to affect adults. Because right now, and, and I can walk you through some of the other parts of this legislation, this specifically targets any counseling, any kind of help or support for underage kids, so 18 and uh, under 18, prevent them from getting support unless it affirms a gender transition.
0: So, unless it's real conversion therapy.
1: Correct. And this makes this legislation again makes no distinction between a 16 year old and a six year old. At 16 in Canada, you can get married with your parents' permission. At 16 in Canada, you can drive. At 16 in Canada, you can live on your own. It's a term called mature minor, uh, M I N O R. Uh, but at six year olds, you can't. But this legislation makes no distinction. So, if your six year old wants to gender transition, you are not allowed to oppose that gender transition or bring that child into a, a counseling session that would discourage that gender transition. You'd only be allowed, quote-unquote, to explore that. Mm-hmm. And, and this is this is really the danger. This is now a criminal offense. You could go to jail for five years even for even giving bringing your child to counseling. And get this, Jonathan, even if your child wants the counseling, you would not be allowed to offer it to her. So the, the, law, the law itself, and this is what I was alluding to, there's a real insidious background to it. Uh, because first of all, the law is actually going to be placed, the criminal law is actually going to be placed alongside child pornography laws. So that's how much they want to, to discourage this. Yes. And, and then, uh, the, the, like I said, the block NDP and the, the Green Party MPs during the debate on conversion therapy said they want to ban this counseling even for consenting adults. So you can't have a private conversation, which is, by the way, what is the case in Calgary and Edmonton and in the Alberta bylaws. As consenting adults, I cannot ask or pay for a Christian counselor to help me remain chaste and celibate, even if that's my choice. And and then and then what they even said was this, and you can we'll, we'll be finding the videos. You can find it on our website hopefully soon. Um, but uh, what they said was we want to fund educational LGBT groups to re-educate those evangelicals so they they believe like us that there's no, there's nothing wrong with homosexuality or gender identity transition. So so now they're actually trying to tell us using government money. That's what they want to do to interpret the Bible the way they want us to. If you believe in any kind of religious liberty,
0: yeah. right, you don't
1: have to be a Christian. You you recognize this is not the role of government. One of the Black Quebecois MPs kept arguing religion has no role in politics. But ironically, he has no problem in using politics to tell religion what we should be able to do or say.
0: Yeah, so there's a lot uh, to unpack there. I guess just to start with, for, for even more context, you recently testified before... Uh, the members of parliament on this issue and i'm interested to know what their personal response to your story was because one of the difficulties with this debate right is that people choose when it comes to sexual issues of any kind so i do a lot of work on the the pornography issue and so when it comes to sexual issues of any kind people generally choose to pursue therapy and counseling for uh, privately they have no desire to broadcast whatever their particular struggle might be to the world and so It's it's more common in the last few years, as as you would know, for people to come out and talk about, um, you know, their porn struggles, et cetera, et cetera. Um, But that's a a very recent thing. And so, when people are saying, you know, this doesn't hurt anybody; it only helps people. I know quite a few people who would never come out and speak publicly, and so we're very grateful that you did. What was the reaction <clears throat> to actually meeting someone who I would I would bet that most of them have never met before, and I, I would bet that most of them had never heard a story like yours before.
1: Well, uh, yeah. So, so the backdrop is we, as we I said, we've been finding this these bylaws and laws in Alberta for about a year now, almost a year and a half. Uh, and uh, when the Calgary bylaw came uh, as in, in place in terms of being debated, one of the, the, the spiritual questions I had was how much do I use my own personal experience in this debate? And there are plenty of great people who are already sharing their personal testimony. I didn't, uh, frankly, I still don't. <laughs> it's not an easy thing to talk about the fact that this is also my personal story, but I realized, and this is one of the, the things that got me Jonathan was that i um, the culture is wanting to impose an identity on people based on their sexuality. And that's a social construct. I think we've talked about that before. I can go into that if you, if you want to get reminded on those things. But in, in in terms of understanding from a biblical perspective, God doesn't see us through a sexual identity. Those are all secondary identities. Uh, we're, we're children of God first. And from a Christian perspective, I realize if, if what I went through in the lessons I learned uh, understanding sexual identity uh, are ones that helped me maintain a chaste and celibate life. That maybe I can share that with other people, not just to encourage uh, the culture to see that we exist, but to help Christians understand that we can push back on this uh, because we're actually speaking out for people who are hurting for people who need this support and and we don't have to just keep this it it to ourselves and you're right the problem is hundreds if not thousands of thousands hundreds of thousands of canadian christians have gotten this kind of support but they're not going to talk about it aloud. that's why they go privately no one knew that i was going through to see counselors for this uh no one had to know that was my personal decision and and in a sense i resent the fact that government has forced this conversation so to the to your point Though, so, um, in, in Parliament, what happened was I actually wasn't chosen as a witness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, I flew out from Calgary. I said, you know, God, I can come here. I see if I can be of help. Let's see what I can do. And, and I started networking here. Our friends at the Association for Reform Political Action, uh, ARPA, uh, said, hey, you can join the. Uh, we have a free office space. Come and sit with us. And that's what I did. And I was, uh, we, we went through the first set of witnesses that were going to speak, uh, mostly on our, a lot of them were on site and we realized most of them were lawyers and there was no personal testimonies at that time yet. So uh, ARPA graciously gave me half their time to speak. Mm. And that's when I was able to, to share and myself and my other colleague, Emmanuel, who's also a young man, I've been training in Calgary to share his testimony. And his, his story is very powerful because he was 16 when he got Christian counseling to help reduce unwanted same-sex sexual behavior. He had already been dating another man. He had been good to gay bars. He had identified as gay. I'd never did all of that. So his story was very powerful in the sense that no one forced him. His parents didn't even know that he got counseling. And when he was able to get that counseling, he came back to God. He came back to Christ, uh, follows a Christian life. His chaste and celibate still struggles. There's still issues in his life. He was a victim of sexual abuse himself. Uh, but the te- that testimony, and my testimony, John, I can tell you the MPs that I talked to afterwards said it blew them away in terms of just change the narrative of the, mm. the discussion. So during my testimony, I, I gave, um, I, I just shared that I got counseling out of my own free will. And I pointed out that I paid for this counseling. Uh, of the five points that this law it makes illegal, receiving a financial or other material benefit from the provision of so-called conversion therapy would be illegal. So if this bill passes, you cannot pay for a service if you're a Christian, if you're someone who doesn't want to act on these sexual behaviors. Uh, But if you can pay for it, if it's straight, Sexual behaviors. See, see that—that's the discrimination right there, right? Um, and so, with with uh, that testimony, I knew we goaded on that we we lit a fire on the MPs, particularly the government MPs, because they pushed back really hard on what mm. we said. Uh, the Black Quebec, uh, the uh, the NDP. There was one gay NDP MP on the the Justice Committee. He actually spoke to uh, the a transgender speaker. Right after I spoke, and John, this is the question he asked, how many people do you think are coerced into, quote unquote, conversion therapy? And the transgender speaker said, 100%. And this is after five minutes after I just gave my testimony. So, so what was great was I was asked questions right after that, and I was able to refute the, uh, the NDP and this, uh, this witness and say, look, you guys are claiming to respect the experiences of Canadians and be tolerant and open-minded. Why are you trying to speak on my behalf? You cannot do that. And I think that silenced them. That shut them up a little bit, at least. We'll find out today. Today's uh, the next witness day here, what the reaction is going to be. But I think the the testimony, as you said, was something they were not expecting. In fact, even the people pushing this law in Alberta, here, here's how, how how the lie has infiltrated, Jonathan. So the people pushing this law in Alberta told all those municipal governments, and I spoke to at least five of them. There's about eight or nine that have passed them now. Uh, I spoke to at least five personally live. What they'll be able to do is survive a charter challenge because uh, religious organizations cannot torture people in the name of religion. So that was the only charter challenge that they were told that they could survive with this law. So at the last city council I spoke at, I said, I actually confronted this idea and I told them that is not the charter challenge you'll be getting ladies and gentlemen to the city council here. You will be getting charter challenges from people like me who will be discriminated directly against because of our sexual orientation and our faith. Because you are not going to get equal access to counseling like everybody else can. Do you think you'll be able to survive that kind of charter challenge? And that city council has not touched the conversion therapy ban Mm -hmm. at all. I think because of that, they realized that they were being manipulated to pass laws, which frankly set up the next stage. And this is the next stage, Jonathan. The justice minister has already publicly said and has been affirmed by Chris Wells and other people that he will remove the charitable status of any organization that supports, quote unquote, conversion therapy. So that means any religious organization, any church, any body that says, look, the Bible says, or God designed man and woman for sex in marriage. And that's it. There's no other practice that's where it's allowed. That could be targeted. That teaching, particularly, could be targeted. I mean, this law right now, let me, let me just point this out. This law right now can target that teaching for kids under 18. Let me read the laws that matter here. So the five points are causing a person to undergo conversion therapy against the person's will, causing a child to undergo conversion therapy, doing anything for the purpose of removing a child from Canada with the intention that the child undergo conversion therapy outside Canada, advertising an offer to provide conversion therapy and receiving financial material benefits from the provision of conversion therapy. So by the way, (laughs) in the city of Calgary, advertising includes a pastor in the middle of the church foyer saying to someone, come and see me later on. I'm going to counsel you for your unwanted same-sex attractions. That's a verbal advertising according to the lawyers of the city of Calgary when we fought that law there. With this though, in terms of children, what's what's, going to happen is because it says causing a child to undergo conversion therapy, and they define it as reducing non-heterosexual behavior. If a a 13-year-old girl in my youth group comes to me and she says she wants to have sex with her classmates, I can tell her, no, you have to save yourself for marriage and you're not ready for marriage yet. But if Mm -hmm. that classmate wasn't a boy, but a girl That statement that I just said, that you shouldn't have sex outside of marriage, is now conversion therapy, according to the definition used by the government.
0: So all of this is is, is pretty insane for a couple of reasons, and I wanted to run one thing by you before we get into some of the – and you've covered a lot of the implications, but there is just a lot to cover, and a lot of people don't seem to totally understand what the big deal is is and it's really important that they understand it but even on the left the traditional understanding of sexuality has never been you're you know this or you're that and the last 5 years has created a a multiplicity of of sexual categories but even back to the 50s they talked about a kinsey scale where where, where you know where where people had a mix of different attractions based on their environment based on on life circumstances based on a wide range of different things and to, the thing that i'm i'm most familiar with um, is 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 these days the accessibility of, of pornography? Um, so I, most of the the people I know and most of my friends who struggle with same sex attraction and who are actually fighting it um, were wondered whether or not this might be. <clears throat> something they were attracted to, and then instead of, you know, ignoring it for years or just deciding to avoid it, they would just check out pornography, and then they could tell pretty quickly whether or not that they were attracted to this. And so, this law comes at a time when pornography is already metastasizing a lot of people's different attractions. We've got Nicholas Kristoff of the New York Times going after Justin Trudeau right now because the Canadian government's been ignoring Pornhub uh, and all the the awful things that take place there. And so, we know that there are so many different uh, things that are impacting people's sexuality, that sexuality is not binary, that sexuality is actually very fragile, that it's affected by many things. And so the idea even, let's say, as I'll give you a couple of uh, personal examples of, of people that I know, they're you know 80% same-sex attracted but 20% um, opposite sex attracted. There there are some of them who are never attracted to to, to to girls and don't feel like dating them at all. And then there are some who say no, actually with a little bit of therapy, if I could just, you know, reduce my same sex attraction and emphasize my opposite sex attraction, I could maybe have what I want, which is, you know, get married, have kids and some of them have successfully done this and are, are tremendously happy and the idea that the government could make it illegal for them to pursue the life pathway that they want is really like sinister and cruel in in so many ways. So, you've been talking to a lot of people who have undergone the struggle. So, yes, you shared your own personal story, but you've been communicating with a lot of people. So, sort of speaking for that community here, what are the concerns of those who have gone through the struggle, especially because? My suspicion is based on the last five years, there are going to be a lot more people because of the impact of digital pornography and because there's so many uh, influences.
1: Well, well, there's so much to start there, and I would encourage you. And I think when you have a biblical worldview like, like we advocate for, things make sense. Right? Things always fall into place because it's the world that we live in. We believe Jesus is the center of the universe. He makes sense of things. And and so we're, we're, uh, there's, there's several points here, but let me start with this. And I talk about this in a presentation I gave on our website. You can find that at faithbeyondbelief.ca where I, I shared my testimony and, and three important lessons that I learned From conversations I've had, and the first conversation you have on sexuality is with yourself: is what is it that actually defines you? What is it that that uh, what identity does it does, does shape you? one of the points we make is that at the end of the day there are multiple identities that we have we have our geography our ethnicity our relational you know i'm a married man or i 'm a single man or i'm a, a mother uh, we have our faith we have our the sports team we cheer for right uh, regardless if they suck or not how are the Vancouver connects doing for example right so when when you think of all of the those identities the point we want to make is all of those identities help shape who we are but we get to choose which of those Identities are the most important or is the most important thing about us. And, and, and I think most Canadians are beginning to realize sexuality is one of those identities, but it doesn't have to be that. I, I alluded earlier, it was in the 1860s in Germany that the terms homosexuality and heterosexuality were first used to define immutable, unchanging identities. Mm-hmm. And, and that was to fight uh, laws against homosexuality. So prior to that, people could engage in all kinds of sexual activities and no one labeled them anything. So in ancient Rome, for example, a man could have sex with anyone in his household, especially if he was a wealthy man, and still be married to a woman and have children. And no one would ever doubt his sexual prowess, even if he was having sex with some male slaves. Right? So, so in, in terms of this, this concept, it's actually returning back to that. So a couple of years ago, there was a Vice magazine a survey, and I can send that to your listeners if they email me, uh, where they found out that it was the numbers like 48% of Generation Z, so this is even after the millennials, identifies heterosexual, 48%. That means 52% identify themselves in all kinds of sexual identities. Alan Schlieman points out there are several major studies that show that uh, the vast majority, we're talking about 80-85% of girls who identify as bisexual in their teens, end up dating only men in their 20s. Because there's a natural fluidity in many people about sexuality, especially as you're growing up and trying to figure this thing out. And as teenagers, as young people, uh, we question all kinds of things. And, and you're right, the sexual saturation in our culture means we have more opportunities to experiment, more opportunities to be to join an identity, to join a club, which if you're a young person, you want to be part of a club, you mm-hmm. want to be part of an identity. So if the trans or the LGB club uh, is the popular club, then yeah, you're going to join that you might want to begin to explore your non-heterosexual mm-hmm. behavior or identity. So you're allowed to explore it, but you can't then reduce it if this law passes. But one of the other things I point out in my presentation, and I think this is key for us as Christians to understand, this is the, the kind of stuff good theology brings foundation. For people who experience same-sex attraction particularly, uh, in their minds, it isn't actually same-sex attraction. What you're sexually attracted to is something you perceive as different from you. And you see that in lesbian relationships where there's a butch and there's a femme. Or in gay male relationships, particularly if you read the fantasies that they, they create or the gay pornography that they produce. I'm reading a book on gay pornography that talks about this. It's always a fantasy, but with something about a masculinity they perceive that's not theirs. It's right. Something that's outside of them. It's interesting, um, this same book talks about gay pornography. It's as high as 30 to 40% of gay porn stars are actually identify as straights. So they don't want, they don't identify themselves as gay. And there's a whole bunch of gay fantasy, including gay pornography, that uh, are, that is about trying to convince a straight friends to have sex with an, you as a male. So th- again, that speaks to the fact that you're trying to find something that you don't see in yourself. And from a Christian perspective, this is one of the lines I, I, I like to teach from now is that uh, masculinity or femininity in the minds of of people who experience this, like I have, is, is a destination. It's something you're constantly searching for. When, when scripture Genesis 1 and 2 tells us uh, masculinity, femininity, sexuality is a gift of God because it's a description of us. We don't have to search for it in someone else. We find it in a, the identity God gave us. And by the way, the Judeo-Christian worldview is one of the few worldviews that I actually teaches that God designed both male and female in his image. So that's mm-hmm. another powerful response to gender identity confusion that says you have to try to change your body or change your yourself to accommodate your feeling inside when God has already given you a body that glorifies his image. So all all of this to say, you're you're asking about a sexualized culture that the challenge that the church has, the challenge that that well-meaning people should have in this culture is to simply ask the LGBT activists, is this really the total sum of who you are? Is that really the most important, the fact that you want to have this kind of sexual practice or this kind, is that really the most important thing about you? Because isn't it fair Mm -hmm. to say that often if not almost, I would argue, very often. Uh, There's a large percentage of self-identified LGBT people, LGB people who have had sex with people of the opposite sex. So uh, what does that mean then? I, I think really what it means, Jonathan, is that it doesn't make sense to label people based on their attractions that change over time or change constantly. What makes more sense is to help define people based on truly immutable identities, like for example, your DNA. <laughs> you can chop off body parts all you want to, but you're still going to have that DNA screaming what you are. And and, and I, I think, you know, I, when I was growing up, I, I'm a little older than you, but in the early 80s, we had these after school commercials that's, that talked about how we need to accept our body for what it is. It's the same message we need to give
0: today. It's kind of interesting because. Over the last couple of years, and this isn't new, but it's 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 certainly been torqued. I don't know if you've read Douglas Murray's book, *The Madness of Crowds*, where he talks about uh, the rise and the metastasization of of identity politics. He actually starts off the first chapter talking about um, attending a, an ex-gay. Um, um, and he's and and he's a, he's a gay person himself. It's fascinating. It's fascinating to see his analysis of that. But you see a lot of people now getting angry when other people reject the identity they've chosen. So you saw this to a degree, even with the Black Lives Matter community. It was those in their own community who differed with their goals or with their ideological outlook that they were angriest at, because there was this perception that like, how dare you? This identity means everything to me, and you're rejecting it. You should be like me. Is is there any of that to what's going on here? When you refer to that one one MP um 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 who is gay and and he, he started off by just simply dismissing your existence and ignoring everything that you had to say. Is is there is there part of a if this identity isn't everything to you, then we have to either malign you, lie about you, or pretend you don't exist.
1: I don't remember all those stages, but uh, in t- in terms of response, so they first they ignore you, and then they get angry at you, and they try to shut you down. And then yep. they finally accept you. You know that that's mm-hmm. those kinds of stages. So we're in the yep. ignoring parts. Right. Um. One one of the conservative staffers. I can. I, I have to have to be careful with what I say here. But mm-hmm. one of the things they had said was on LGBT issues, even on the provincial conservative level for Ontario, and then the federal as well. We've had no pushback. We've just rolled over and let them say whatever they want to say. And, and, and I, th- I think the egregiousness of this law should wake us up mm. to realize who the, what this law actually does is harm LGBT people. <laughs> and so we need to make that case. It was interesting, we, we actually, uh, as, as I said, we've been fighting this in Calgary. So there were several incidences where we actually presented the facts about the Calgary bylaw, and which is very similar to the federal law, to LGBT people. So we were collecting petitions on the street Emmanuel was on the street. He has his own same-sex attraction story, as I said. And he and another young person were, were, were interviewing people and trying to get them to sign our petition. And they met several LGBT people who right away had their backs up about the conversion therapy. Uh, ban, uh, And thought we were the bad guys. But when we explained that this bylaw, which the federal law does as well, actually specifically targets LGBT people, prevents them from getting counseling, think about it, this law actually criminalizes conversations in counseling sessions between LGBT people and their counselors, but does not do that for anyone else. How can that not be discriminatory? Uh, it, it governs, and this is one of their biggest arguments, Jonathan, it actually governs outcomes for counseling, when even therapists, professional therapists or organizations say, it's not their role to decide outcomes for people, so why should it be the government's? And when we present this to LGBT people, especially the, the, ones, the ones I'm talking about, they realize we were right and they signed our petition. The argument we're making here is not, are you ex-gay, are you gay, or whatever. Do you really just understand what freedom of, of opportunity, freedom of self-determination means for all Canadians? Now, that being said, I, I don't like using the term ex-gay because I think that's, that's just as in, inaccurate as gay yeah. in terms of understanding that sexuality is fluid, sexuality mm-hmm. can change. You can experience all kinds of sexual activity and not be, label yourself a certain way, kind of way in your head, right? But with um, reaction from the other side, they're at the stage of ignoring us. And our hope is that they can't do that because the arguments we're making are are being made by people who still identify as gay. So there's one uh, young man, I think uh, he's from the Toronto area. He, he teaches sign language. Uh, he actually, and this is public testimony, so I'm referencing something that's public, it's not private, where he, he talks about how he identifies, he's Catholic, how he identifies as gay still, but goes through all the arguments I've made about sexual behavior that can include all kinds of things that consenting adults out of their own free will would want without any kind of coercion and would be banned just for gay people but no one else. And, and, and I think we can make that argument on this law. Uh, at the end of the day, what, what I, I thought about this as I watched the, that Member of Parliament from the NDP speak on this, I realize what we're, at, we're actually defending here is the definition of sexuality and gender identity from a certain generation, maybe 30 years older than us or 20 years older than us in their 50s, 60s, and 70s who've experienced this through the past. The next generation and those younger than us, particularly, they don't see that paradigm. They don't understand sexuality that way. Uh, that's why 52% of them don't identify as heterosexual because they wanna be able, uh, just just think about the, the definition. If being LGBT bisexual infers having two genders. Transgender says there are more than two genders. So if I'm sexually attracted to five and a half gender identities, I'm not a B, I'm not an L or a G, what am I? Right. So so that's the thinking that's going on for this next generation. And I'm, I'm not trying to mock them, but it, it does sound ridiculous because, you know, there's only two genders. That's, that's the <laughs> biblical view. And, and, and in terms of, of understanding that, so even if you don't agree with my view, and you're welcome to tell me I'm wrong, of course, uh, those in the audience, you have to admit then if there's more than multiple genders and the B- uh, has to be either amended, or you have to add all the other gender identi- sexual attraction identities. If you're attracted to the 78 different gender identities on Facebook, and that's why you have things like uh, queer boy or agender or um, uh, there's a whole bunch uh, that that asexual. That's another one. Now, mm-hmm. if you're not wanting to have sex with anybody and you don't, you're not attracted to sex. That is now a sexual identity. That's the point with this. So this by this federal law does not recognize where people are actually at right now uh, in Canadian culture on sexuality.
0: So one of the things that I was really interested in uh, with with the the testimonies before the Justice Committee, but also the back and forth in the House of Commons on this law is that. There's all sorts of of objections brought up, those that were brought up by yourself, those that have been brought up by Garnagenis with his Fix the Definition campaign to get them to change some of the things uh, that you and others have been the most concerned about. Uh, As you pointed out, there's these provisions. Uh, that would criminalize all sorts of behavior that the justice minister insists he's not attempting to criminalize, but he won't respond by amending what people are concerned about. And that's always a red flag for me because there's something Rod Dreher calls the law of merited impossibility, which basically is it won't happen, and when it does, you bigots deserve it. And this, that kind of seems like what's going on here is that they they say it won't happen, but the entire reason they won't make amendments to satisfy a greater number of people is because they they fully intend to use it. And there's people like Dr. Chris Wells behind the scenes ensuring that the law remains the way that it is because they, they fully intend to use it for those purposes at some point. What is your take on all of that? Oh,
1: they've already done that. So there's a group testifying today called No Conversion Canada that's been posting on our Facebook page, on Faith Beyond Beliefs Facebook. Facebook page. So this is public. This isn't a private correspondence kind of thing. And they've already said that we're going to shut you down and groups like yours for supporting conversion therapy So the conversion therapy, quote-unquote, that we support is the right to free counsel that everyone supports. Things like electroshock therapy, torture, or coercion Mm -hmm. are already illegal in the criminal codes. Uh, And and any kind of coercive counseling is actually already discouraged or prevented by professional codes of conduct by professional organizations, like the Canadian Psychiatric Association and the American Psychological Association. They, They already talk about coercion and they discourage it. So if there's any kind of practice from any religious group even that they're practicing this, it violates the code or you, or already may violate the criminal law. So the, what are they actually banning? When you look at the definition again, when the, the wording that I've just read, what's going to happen here is this government is going to pass this law. Uh, and and just like with same-sex marriage, remember when same-sex marriage was legalized less than what, 20 years ago now? They also promised churches won't be affected. Don't worry, you won't be affected. You, you'll be allowed to continue your, your stuff. Well, we have this now, 20 years later. Well, clearly churches will be affected by this. Mm-hmm. The, 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 most, the oddest thing, Jonathan, that I just read recently was from the city of Calgary informing, and I'm, I'm making air quotes for your, your radio audience here, informing your, uh, the, the, the people who spoke at the conversion therapy debate in Calgary and, uh, and anyone else, the churches, that churches won't be affected by this law. Okay, so that's what it's said in this official, official statement that they sent publicly. What they don't mention is that churches won't be affected by this law was not is not actually in the bylaw. It was added in an addendum that can be changed any time by any political body without any kind of accountability uh, at a whim of the of the um, administrators even. And it was just an add on. And some of the city councils actually voted for the bylaw just because of the add on, even though it has no legal weight. The municipal government is trying to argue what they've said, what they've, I think, misled the public to believe for now. But two years from now, five years from now, the wording of the law is still there. Consenting adults cannot have conversations on this issue. The, the, uh, the point I made sometimes was two consenting adults could have any kind of sexual practice they want to, but if they enter a, a, a therapy session, they won't be able to talk about it. That, that's, that's what this law does, that bylaw does. And in the same way, the federal government law will be passed, and groups like No Conversion Canada will use this this law, they've said this on our pay Facebook page, like I said, to try to shut down the, the helpful counseling I got, that I chose, and the ministries and organizations that support our right to choose that counseling. They'll remove our charitable status. That's always the first. And then they'll treat us like like hate groups. That's what they already call us Mm. because we want to torture gay people. It doesn't matter if it's not logical. It doesn't matter if if there's no evidence for that. Simply disagreeing with people's point of view on sexuality is now considered hate in their minds. And what we need to be able to realize if we let them get away with that, what we've actually done is get rid of democracy. Because democracy, by definition, means we are allowed to disagree with each other. We're allowed to tell each other that each other is wrong and then defend the other person's right to be wrong. This is the, the anti-democratic streak in the LGBT community. And our hope is that well-meaning LGBT people, and there are many of them, will realize what, what's at stake here because they're going to be affected in the future as well
0: if you had to give a 5 minute case in addition to everything you've already said to christians for why why they should care about this piece of legislation because i've heard a lot about so the conversion therapy bills being is being touched on by all the usual suspects the sorts of things that you and i read um, but there's a lot more attention, generally speaking, um, on on the euthanasia expansion because I think everybody you know knows somebody somebody who's old. Not everybody knows they know somebody who has struggled with with, with same sex attraction. So, what's the short case for why everybody who goes to any church um, should should be should be very I touched very on concerned it already it. a lot,
1: but. Um the point I think that we need to understand is government has no rights to mandate outcomes for any kind of counseling or therapy or relationship that you have. So for example, if your five-year-old child comes to you and she wants to transition to the opposite gender, but I mean, we're talking about five-year-olds. When, when my nephews were five years old, they were wanting to be all kinds of things. You know, kids, some parents tell me their kid wants to be a dog or a horse or a puppy, mm-hmm. or in my case, it was a ninja, and my, my five-year-old nephew at the time wanted to grow up to be a ninja. And and you know, that's fine. That's what five-year-olds do. But if this law is passed and your child insists that she wants to be a boy, because all the other girls in her group of friends want to be a boy, all you can do is explore, quote unquote, that conversation with her. And 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 so if you bring that child to a counseling agency to help her detransition. Kenneth Zucker had a detransition clinic in Toronto uh, that had about 85, 90% success rates, helping kids re-identify and accept their their body as a boy or as a girl. Uh, That would be criminal. In fact, the conversion therapy law in Toronto, in Ontario, shut that down. Let me give you one quick example. I think this is important to to mention and I'll tie it back to my answer to your question. Mm Uh, One of the situations or cases that I heard from that clinic was about a three or five-year-old boy who wanted to become a girl. And the parents did everything they can to figure out what was going on. Um, But it turned out it was because his younger sister was born and she had a disability or health problem right at the start of of life. And all the attention Mm -hmm. was focused on her. And so he thought in his little five-year-old mind, in order to get attention, he had to become a girl. It was only two years later that he began to realize or was, uh, admitted that to his family that that's the reason why he wanted to be a girl. And after that, he nor- developed normally into a boy, which is what we want. So, so back to your question on, on, on why the church should care, it really should go back to thinking, this may not happen to my family, but it's happening to the, family of the p- families of the people beside me, around me. This may not happen to my kid, but it's happening to my kid's classmates. And what is my mandate as a Christian in a democratic state? What is my responsibility now in this this country? Yes, it is to defend our rights. We must do that. And we must realize that this law is actually not about sexuality now. It's about scripture. But it also is about being an ambassador for Christ and being someone who represents what we used to call in political science a common good. Democracy is hinged on the idea that we have common values that unite all of us and that all of us can live at peace with each other because there's a a common objective good. As Christians, our job is to help maintain that common good because it allows us the platform to show the goodness of God. And and if that common good is removed because now it's all about identity politics, it's all about telling people what to to, uh, believe, the outcomes of their counseling, that you're not even allowed to disagree with your five-year-old child's gender transition, you're no longer upholding the common good. I mean, mean, think about this, what this law says. If I come into a a church as an LGBT person, I'm interested in spiritual things, I want to hear their side of the story, I'm willing to come and listen, even if they disagree with me, and I come to the pastor and I tell him, I want to become a Christian. I think you've convinced me, and I think it makes sense. Uh, what does God have to say about sexuality and gender identity? And the pastor says, well, sex is for husband and wife in marriage. And I say, well, I, 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 I don't feel that way. You know, Can you help me not live according to these plans? Uh, this, this will prevent that pastor from giving that kind of information. Now, to discourage non heterosexual behavior. So, this actually affects our opportunity to evangelize to LGBT people. And if the church doesn't care about that kind of truth of that community enough to share the gospel with them, then it doesn't tell me much about our churches today in Canada.
0: Well, that's a good segue to one of my last questions. In some ways, you spent uh, 10 years preparing to come out and tell a very controversial story because you cut your teeth on on pro-life activism and so you're quite used to you know taking unpopular stands in public having conversations with people who disagreed with you so you were already very used to that by the time this came around but what I find with 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 the LGBT issue specifically is that it's it, it's where Christians turn into cowards. Is, is they see this issue, and because the entire culture seems to be flowing so strongly one way, because we're bombarded by messages uh, from everywhere, and then there's a lot of Christians who seem to think, hey, I, I was under the understanding that if the secular culture came after me, they'd come after me for you know being so biblical and, and, and standing on truth, and I thought that's what I was going to get persecuted for, but no, they're saying I want to torture gay kids, and they're saying all these horrible things about me, and so my response to this is I'm going to turtle and ignore this completely and my view of that has been that this essentially is throwing kids uh who want the same kind of therapy and counseling that you received under the bus that it is as you've said throwing the lgbt community under the bus it's essentially in a in a really perverse way saying the lgbt community isn't worth fighting for because we're just going to see to all of them and say okay no yeah that's fine we won't talk to them about christ it's you know no big deal at all um And we'll just let the people in our communities who suffer from a a sexual sin that might be slightly different than mine, um, uh, we'll let them, you know, suffer alone. And this really is just rank cowardice. And it really, really is horrible to so many people. And it really is a poisoning of our own witness in so many ways. Once you think about it. The other reaction is true as well.
1: The cowardice also exists among people who say, let's just capitulate to culture and let's embrace everything culture tells us we ought to believe because. And here's the big lie. We need to be loving. Love is love. Mm-hmm. Uh, C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Four Loves. I won't get into it because I know we're concluding, but he actually argues, no, love is not love. There's different kinds of love and we all need them, but they, and this is the line that people seem to forget from that book. Uh, Different loves meet different love needs by different people. And so uh, every psychology textbook tells you you should never be your child's best friend, especially when they're underage, because Mm -hmm. if you're the parents, you are able to love them in a way no one else will be able to. That's your job. You cannot be your child's best friend. Mm -hmm. That's two different love needs. Mm -hmm. And and, in the same way as the church, you know, we have a responsibility to love the, the people in our culture. Mm-hmm. And loving them does not mean agreeing with everything they say or do. I, I asked married people, you know, there was a, a pastor particularly, I remember, who was pushing back on some of the things I said. And, and you know how you always think of the best answer afterwards. I, I remember I should have done this. I said, should have asked pastor, pastor, are you married? And if he said yes, has your wife ever felt the need to correct you? And if his wife was there, I, I want to look at her if he, as he answers the question, right? And then uh, I would ask, did your wife cease loving you when she corrected you? Obviously, the answer is no. And so as the church in our community, we need to really ask, do we love our neighbors enough to bring truth to them? Because that's what love also does. First, First Corinthians 13, love clings to the truth. And, and so when it comes to this sexual confusion, sexual identity, we need to recognize that the culture offers us a definition of love that's based solely on ourselves, on what we want, uh, based solely on how we feel and who we're attracted to. And, and that is probably one of the most dangerous lies, I'll just say it, in our culture, because that is not the kind of love we need. It's not just based on what we need. Uh, the Apostle John, and I, I'll, I'll, I love this, and I'll pass it on to you after I say this, because I think it's a good uh, response to what you've just said. The Apostle John uh, often describes himself in the, his gospel as the disciple that Jesus loved. And I always thought that was a pretty cool title. You know, he he doesn't talk, you know, presumptuously, there's no, you know, look at me, Jesus loves me. It's, it's, it's very humble. It's uh, I'm not that so, I'm so unimportant that my identity is not about me, but about who loves me. And that's in complete contrast with a culture that says we're defined by who we love instead of who Mm -hmm. loves us. And, And I, I think if we recognize this, Jonathan, we recognize something that the church in Canada has forgotten, that the gospel is still good news, even for the LGBT community. We have something great to share. This dead Jewish guy who walked around, healed people, raised people from the dead, came back to life three days later to prove that he was the creator of the universe and that he's coming back and that we have an opportunity to live in eternity with a good God in a good heaven where our identity and all the love needs that we'll ever have will be fulfilled. That's good news even for the LGBT community. And it's our failure to understand the goodness and the truthfulness of the gospel that has led us to where our culture is at. It always starts with the church. The failure of the culture goes to the foot of the church first. And that's why we need to revive the church before we can revive the culture
0: final question would be where can people follow your work you 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 know testify at the Justice Committee you work with faith beyond belief you're working with this another organization right now you also mentioned your email address during the course of this interview so if you could let people know how to contact you and then kind of I'm working them know with an organization out
1: called free to care you can look us up at free to care.ca. we're still uh, it's just me right now and a board so I'm doing the website myself so you'd be a little patient but you can email me at admin at free to care.ca, admin at free to care.CA uh, some some of the resources that I talked about, like our worldview course, or the key one is the identity project that really walks through sexual issues. Uh, it's a 13 basically a Bible study for kids, but you can use it for adults. It's very extensive, 13 classes where we walk through this. We've talked about the history of sexuality, as I mentioned. You can find that at faithbeyondbelief.ca, faithbeyondbelief.ca. So you can reach me at any of those, and I'd encourage you, especially if your church. And your organization is dealing with this. We actually have a January 7th Zoom meeting. That's 6 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, Please join us. We hope a thousand people can join us. And this is the key, I think, that uh, from the political side, Jonathan, is we've done a lot of great work on Parliament Hill, but we haven't done a lot of the re-energizing the base And so what we like to do, we have four people at that Zoom meeting, a lawyer from ARPA, our friend here, Andre, a woman who's actually gone through conversion therapy, both bad and good, and has come and now describes herself as an ex-gay. So that's her definition. A a Christian counselor, therapist, retired, and myself will be talking about theology. And it's an hour and a half for for presentations and half an hour for questions. And our hope is people will join the Zoom meeting and then say, I want to have similar Zoom meetings for my church, for my school, for my organization, so that we can all be equipped about how bad this law is and what we need to do to re-engage our culture. And wouldn't it be ironic, Jonathan, if we use this sexual issue that's been, you know, hammering us down to be the issue that wakes up the church again, to say we actually are the ones who truly love LGBT people. The culture does not.
0: Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk. So it's my pleasure,
1: my friend. It's great to see where you're at. Since we met at at SFU many, many years ago. And I said, Hey, maybe you should consider working Mm -hmm. full-time pro-life ministry
0: 11 years ago i just realized 11 years ago which is uh, which which yeah i don't want anybody doing any math so we probably shouldn't talk about how many i uh, i did mention in the introduction that i believe you co-founded cool ccbi in 2001 right. And CCBR regularly now has interns who are born. I know. After That's I-11. what's really
1: scary. <laughs> so,
0: uh,
1: we, we're, we actually, and, and uh, just to give credit where credit is due, CCBR has been just one of the most phenomenal things that I'm so proud of, and you, you guys are doing and the work that's being done. And we're actually trying to emulate that at Faith Beyond Belief. So next year as well, we're going to start our own internship kind of program Mm -hmm. called Engage. It's going to be a worldview course, uh, uh, worldview training one week program as a gap year program for people transitioning into university or college. So uh, we're we're learning the same lessons as you said, and I encourage your supporters and, and many others to continue to support CCBR. It is literally changing and saving lives. And it's worth understanding that once you get those foundational truths that CC Bear can teach you about the value of life, objective morality and truth, so much more of these battles are so much easier to deal with because you have that foundation.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, that was my conversation with Jojo Ruba, the executive director of Faith Beyond Belief talking about his experience as a Christian who suffers from same-sex attraction, as well as the danger of Justin Trudeau's conversion therapy ban. If you'd like to listen to other shows, please do take a look at news.com Go to the podcast tab. You can subscribe or check out past shows there. Thank you so much for joining us this week, and we do hope you'll join us again next week.